and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Happy Friday to everyone. It's Friday afternoon, and I have one more podcast to get out because I had another fun interview this week. Uh, what a week of interviews here on this podcast. Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News joined me to break down this really important game. This is, I know like the Philadelphia game was just a few weeks ago, but realistically, I don't know how many of us were really thinking A, that Washington would win or that B, this was a team that was still truly ascending. Well, this game is huge. You know, Washington wins. They jump ahead of the Giants in the standings. Their percentage chance of making the playoffs goes up dramatically. It goes the other way if they lose. And then obviously these two teams play again in two weeks. Washington, would, you know, whichever, whoever wins has the leg up there. So a pretty ginormous game. Uh, uh, Pat and I get into all the key co- key components of this matchup. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. In addition, I'll go through the day in Ashburn. Latest on Chase Young, Benjamin St. Juice, and others. As well as I want to talk about what I think feels like is sort of the subplot topic of the week in town. We'll get to... All that in a moment here on the Standing Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. If you've missed it this week, so I did the recap of the of the win over Atlanta with Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Midweek, we roll on. Jay Gruden is back with us. Then, three more guests on yesterday's podcast, Boomer Esiason, of course, longtime NFL quarterback, turned analyst joined us to discuss this team, this league, talk a little about Maryland from back in the day. Uh, James Smith-Williams, of course, starting defensive end on Washington. He uh, shared his thoughts about where this season is going. And then Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus to go into with me the defensive tackle market and Jerron Payne's potential future uh, because I had a story out this week about that and I hopefully – if you haven't, you hopefully have a chance to go check that out, uh, as well as I have a Jahan Dodson story up today. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, there's always a discount code there. And look, you can you know, get a subscription for somebody as well this year if you need them. If you got you don't know what to get at sports fan in your life, you can do that as well. Just click on one of my articles, though. That's all I ask. Just do that. Go subscribe through there. <laughs> um Okay, let's get to a couple quick things here. In terms of the the injuries and such, no Benjamin St. Juiced. He's out. He's still dealing with this mid to high ankle sprain. He was out on the practice field today, so I guess that's arguably some progress. But there's a bye week, so hopefully for everybody involved, he's able to go in week uh, when they play the Giants again in the rematch. No Dax Mills, Dax Milne, no Trey Turner. They're out with injuries. That means Sam Cosme will start at right guard. That is interesting. We've talked about this a bunch here. The idea that from Washington's perspective, you know, in the short term, if you want to get your best guys out on the field, having Cosme and Lucas out there makes the most sense. And long-term, Cosme's best position may, in fact, be guard. That's been discussed pre-draft by people. So I think this is, to me, a move long time coming. We'll see how it goes. The Giants have some, have two really interesting um, defensive tackles in Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. So this will be a test for Cosme for sure. But I do think, to me, this is the best scenario short-term and perhaps 
long term. So in terms of uh, others, Antonio Gibson was at least on the practice field today after missing Thursday's practice. He's questionable with a foot injury. He didn't seem to make a, think it was a big deal when we spoke yesterday. Um, I'm not too worried about him. Maybe he gets fewer touches, but, you know, I, I'm guessing he'll be out there. Then, of course, there's Chase Young. This has gone on now, you know, for a long time. We've been debating or wondering when he'll be back. He's listed as questionable as now, obviously still with his knee injury. You know, I'm going to stay with my basic take, and that is he doesn't come back till after the bye week. I, I think that makes a lot of sense on multiple levels. Ron Rivera did say he had a good day today in practice, Chase, but um, and, and Chase did some good spirits, I will say, in the locker room. All that said, you know, r- dicey turf up in New in New Jersey by week next week, and if he's still not, if you're even a little bit hesitant, either he is or the or the team is, I don't know why you'd rush it, especially when this defense is playing so well. So that's what's going on 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 that front. Um, I, I think I, I will encourage everybody to go check out. My colleagues at The Athletic that cover the Giants, uh, Dan Duggan and Charlotte Carroll. And, you know, to me, if I had to pick the the single aspect of this game, you know, beyond turnovers or things like that, but like the single sort of strategic aspect, I think it's similar to last week. And that is, can, can Washington's defense slow down uh, – the ground game. Now, obviously, they've been very successful in doing that this year. Atlanta, though, ran for over 160 yards last week. Both of these teams, the Giants and the Falcons, have a mobile quarterback. Daniel Jones has obviously been very good against Washington in the past. Um, but I think the Saquon Barkley factor is huge. Saquon Barkley is a much better running back on the surface than anything Atlanta has, but he has been banged up. I'm I, uh, Looking at uh, Dan Duggan's mailbag he had this week, there was a question about what's wrong with Barkley and Dan's point is that he had a shoulder injury in week five and then before that he was averaging five and a half yards a carry since then 3.6 Barkley's claiming that it's not an injury it's not an issue the injury so it's hard to know exactly what's going what's been wrong I will say that the Giants look like they should be pretty fully healthy which is probably the first time that's been the case for a minute um on the offensive line I mean they have a lot of people on the injury report but in terms of like their offensive line they should be in a pretty good spot. So we'll see. I think if, if the Giants can run the ball, then I think Washington, you know, it's going to be a nip and tuck game. I mean, you know, it'll probably be a one-score game regardless. But, you know, obviously Atlanta was very close to to winning last week, if not for that Deron Payne tip pass that Kendall Fuller picked off. Uh, I, I think Barkley, as an individual player, can be, you know, pretty explosive. And, you know, similar to Atlanta, the Giants don't have a ton of receiving weapons, but they have some. They're they're not completely devoid, but you take you make them one dimensional. I think that's where Washington's best chance will come in. Last thing I want to say, speaking of the run game, um, one of the you know there's always a you never know what what subplot's going to come out of a given week, and I think the one for this week has been Ron Rivera's comments the other day with regards to this team being a run first team. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, R- R- Rivera uh, when asked about what's been the biggest catalyst um, during this run. He said, um, let me find the quote here. Uh, He's talking about Brian Robinson. He said, "Uh, I know it's a little thing or some people might look at it a little thing or it's an excuse, but I took, uh, it took a little bit for Brian Robinson to come back. 
Uh, side note, I don't think anybody's making an excuse for a guy getting shot twice. Uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, I was, I, but I, by that, I mean, of course, it's it's amazing he's even doing anything, let alone, um, you know, as well as he's playing. So I think everybody's cool with whatever time Brian Robinson needed. But he went on to say that, quote, we kind of showed our hand during the preseason of what we wanted to do and how we wanted to be on offense using that two back tandem. I really do think being able to commit to the run the way we have has really helped us. I think that's a really big part of it. Um, so, you know, again, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. The uh, Look, the I totally buy that they wanted to have an interior running threat like Robinson to help avoid, you know, second and 12, second and 13, have your second and sevens and go and go from there. I mean, obviously you want more than that even, but like keep keep your team on track through the run, have that power attack. But other than that, almost all their moves did not suggest that this was going to be a run first team. Carson Wentz, again, I know some people out there think he's terrible or whatever, but Carson Wentz, you know, the the potential for him, he's not a um game manager type quarterback which is what you would effectively have with a run first kind of a deal, right? He's a he's a boomer bust quarterback. And I know last year with the Colts, they had a, a back in Jonathan Taylor who ended up becoming, you know, one of the best runners in the league and they leaned on him, but that was all part also because Wentz was struggling. So that, if you're really going to be a run first team, I don't think Carson Wentz is the way you go. You also probably don't draft a receiver in the first round, especially when you have Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. You also probably don't have your tight end room be, almost all pass catchers except for John Bates. You probably also don't go as light on the offensive line than they did this year. I'm not talking about letting Brandon Scherf go, but the, you know, the, the Norwell, the Trey Turner situation, they didn't draft another offensive lineman particularly high. So none of that to me screams that they were going to be run first. And then of course there's even just like JD McKissick why did you bring back J.D. McKissick if you planned on drafting or adding another running back to that mix? Because you would have Gibson and this other running back. I'm not saying you don't need to keep McKissick because he's not a good player, but there would be a little little role for for him. And but but they did do that, right? I mean, they did keep a guy who's more of a pass catcher than he is a runner. So it, it, you know, it, it, at least it, conceivably, Gibson and McKissick was going to be the backfield combo until they were able to get um, a running back in the third round. So I, I just think it's an interesting discussion. It's not really a, I'm not like worked up over it. I just think it's one of those things where the coach says what he's going to say. And then interpretations go from there. If you buy everything that they tell you, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell you. You, you can't, you can't do that. I, but at the same point, that's what Ron Rivera seems to think. And look, Robinson looked really good in training camp and preseason, as we know, and I don't doubt that he would have been the lead back uh, for sure. And that's a different type of style than Gibson. But like I said, if you really were going to, if your plan truly was to be a run first offense, then the other moves did not quite match that. Uh, You know, you tell me you think Wentz is the best quarterback still. Okay. But then why are you drafting a receiver in the first round when you already have a couple of other guys and, you know, you know, Deami Brown was in a third round pick last year, right? So you, why not use that pick on something else that can help you? So whatever. It, it's not the world's biggest deal, but I do think it's interesting. I've seen a lot of people talking about it online this week, and it's a fun topic. 
for sure. More importantly, they're winning now, so that's all that matters. But, you know, revisionist history a little bit to me is what it feels like. I buy they wanted a back like Robinson to give you that power thread up the middle and to keep the chains moving. But almost nothing else suggests that they were really planning on being a run-first team. And look, by the way, also, even with Robinson out, you had Jonathan Williams, right, who gives you a little bit of that element. They didn't lean on him at all. They just stayed with Gibson and McKissick. So, I don't know. That That's just my two cents. I just wanted to get out that, get that out there. Um, all right, let's get to it. Really fun conversation with Pat Leonard about Commanders-Giants, a huge game for Washington. It's about time we get to really talk about football with some stakes like this going into it. Let's do that right now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. I uh, I think last year, I every week, I really try to make a point of having a beat writer from the uh, up from the upcoming opponent on the podcast to get that insight. And I honestly haven't done it a lot this year, perhaps in part because, I don't know, a lot of the games earlier in the year just didn't feel that important because we were like, eh, where's this Washington team going? Well, here's where they went. They went all the way to position where they're the now firmly in the playoff picture and have a massive game this Sunday in New York against the Giants with a chance to jump the Giants in both the playoff and the division standing. So therefore I needed to get that insight and who better to do that than our friend from the uh, New York Daily News, host of the Talking Ball podcast with Pat Leonard. He is Pat Leonard. Uh, my guy, how are you? Man, I'm great. And listen, you deserve a break for you know, not crunching each matchup early on because, I mean, you had a story to cover every darn day that wasn't even about football. And then you had to cover the football team, right? I mean, that that had to be pretty tough. It's, uh, you know, you never like to complain about the job that we're, that we're fortunate to have here. But, yeah, in terms of, like, pure storylines, I mean, the uh, myself and the others on the, on, the, on the beat, we all sort of joke, like, you know, we'll look at, you know, some random team and like the storylines, you know, from training camp or earlier in the season are like, you know, who's going to be the starting right guard and uh, how the fifth <laughs> round rookie is adjusting to the NFL. And we're like, wait, do, I, you know, how, how do we, who do we talk to in Congress about subpoenas or what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, you're waking up on a Wednesday. Like, could I just have a clean day where I cover practice and go home? <laughs> like, could I just have one day like that? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. That's what that's what's made the last few weeks, I think, for us, like, so enjoyable because, you know, we actually were just sort of talking about football. I mean, there's still a little bit of a disbelief on this end, I guess, that they've made this sort of a, a comeback. But I guess that's what's interesting about this matchup is I imagine for you guys, yeah. the disbelief was on the front end because nobody was pegging the Giants to be any kind of factor this year, brand new coach, uh, you know, still questions about Daniel Jones, the roster overhaul is ongoing. And yet the giants came out one of the hottest teams in the league. And even though, you know, it's dipped a little bit the last couple of weeks still, you know, I, I imagine seven wins is probably the high end, if not higher than anybody picked. So, uh, you know, it, it had to be pretty wild for you guys, particularly on. Oh, definitely. I mean, you could look at most of their wins and describe them just as that way. I mean, the Baltimore win at MetLife Stadium was the craziest one. You know, I think I think Next Gen Stats was giving the Ravens like 86% chance to win the game with, you know, six minutes left in the fourth quarter. You know, some of it felt unsustainable except for the fact that the Giants just kept winning. And, uh, you know, the win, the win against the Packers in London, that was the one, you know, I was there. That was great experience. But that win, now obviously the Packers have shown to be not the team we thought they were either. 
But that was the win where they went from looking like a lucky team that was kind of eking out some breaks to, oh, like if they play a bad team, they'll beat them. Um, now, injuries have kind of caught up to them now. And so they're not the same team right now that they were a month and a half, two months ago. But yeah, I mean, starting with the, you know, I look at Washington, I look at the Giants. You know, Heineke's moxie is such a huge factor in Washington. In New York, I think the main factors are that Saquon and Daniel Jones have been healthy. I think their front office has done a great job plugging and playing with waiver claims of free agent signings. Dable, I think, made a huge impact right at the start by going for two in Tennessee in week one with the game on the line instead of kicking the extra point for the tie, getting it. And it's not the same thing as what Heineke brings on a down-to-down basis to Washington and how much energy he adds. But the Giants franchise, and you know this, Ben, like they've they've lost so much they've, they've gotten used to losing. And so winning the season opener against a playoff team from last year, the way they did with their coach being aggressive and showing faith in the players, that kind of sustained them emotionally through the early start of the year. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I would ask you, you know, is it as simple as Heineke's addition helping Washington come out of the rut? Because I know for the Giants, it seems pretty clear that we can kind of map out how it happened, how it started. But like from Washington's end, I mean, is it is it more complicated than just a new quarterback who gives the team some juice? Yeah, I mean, in terms of you watching you guys, I mean, the day ball thing, you know, you never know with these new coaching hires. I mean, we see in Denver, right? You know, that's not exactly working out despite some fanfare. Um, and, you know, how is Dayball going to do? I always like the co- bringing in the coordinator who's on the other side of the ball from the head coach because at least then you know that he's really kind of in charge of that unit and, and Dayball was with mm. Buffalo. So it really did seem from the outside that the, this was a coaching success Um as much as anything else but in terms of uh washington it, it's so it's so interesting because i don't know if i would say taylor heineke is polarizing he's he's certainly confusing even when you talk to ron rivera and some of the players like john allen flat out i think it was after the houston game one of these recent games when when asked like how is how are they getting this done with heineke he's like you know basically like i don't know like i it's hard to explain <laughs> how this is happening, but it's happening. And we do seem to respond to him. There is some of that for sure. Um, I've used this analogy before. Have you ever seen the movie? uh, I assume you've seen the movie Days and the Confused. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the, the main character in that one, um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's the, he's the star quarterback of of the high school team, but he's also has the ability to hang out with the, 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 the pot smokers and the nerds, (laughs) <laughs> and and every, all the different factions and somehow feel connected to all of them. And I kind of feel that's how Heineke is in the locker room in terms of on the field. I mean, it is a lot of combination of things. I think the Brian Robinson situation is really uh, a huge component to this because they drafted him originally with the purpose of having a, a consistent p- power runner, which they didn't have last year. Then of course he obviously goes through the ordeal that he goes through, misses yeah. the first four games, comes back in week five but it's not until week six that he gets double digit carries that of course was Carson Wentz's last game before the injury and they've really now leaned on the run a ton they're controlling time of possession they've been at the top of the chart um, or among the league leaders in that category for a while 
So, and then of course the defense has played increasingly better as the season's gone along, I think in part because they're on the field less. So, mm. you know, you put all these things together and they are winning, I won't say in spite of Heineke, but they're not like, they're not making him front and center, but they are, it, it's all just working together. And that's why it is confusing to a degree. Like, how is this all happening? Um, you know, also, <laughs> also, by the way, you know, it's, you know, the, the notion of it's better to be lucky than good. That they're kind of living that life right now. I'm not saying they're not been they, they have been good, but the the breaks do definitely feel like they're they're kind of going their way lately. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you know, going back to uh, a couple years ago when, or was it last year when Dexter Lawrence jumped off sides, and the Giants lost that game at Washington, um, you know, under Joe Judge, and like those are the kind of backbreaking, seemingly small, but mag- magnificently huge, you know, breaks that the Giants were not getting under the last coaching staff. Like they've been in a lot of close games this year, just like they were the last two years. The difference is they're not committing that late game penalty. They're not uh, making that huge mistake and they are creating some of their own breaks. Now I will say this, the big, the big difference between the Giants and Washington right now is that that was the Giants two months ago. Now they're sliding and they are getting a little bit healthier for this game. They're getting some guys back, not in the secondary, really outside of Fabian Moreau, their second outside corner, though. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of a I'm, I'm curious. And I did ask some guys in their locker room, like, are you guys thinking like, here we go again from these previous years? Or are you thinking, well, we won early this year, so we can still do it. And they're saying they're still confident. And I know in the back of their minds, even though they won't admit it, they know that Washington's the only team in the division they've had recent success against consistently Mm -hmm. outside of last year, obviously. Um, But, you know, I was talking to Dexter Lawrence about it. Like he said, this is this Washington team is different. Like he said, you know, we we don't think of that as like oh well this is Washington so we're going to get a division win like they they re- they respect Washington and they respect this version of Washington. Um, yeah, I mean it's so um, yeah, it's it's so it's so uh, funny. This was the first game, even though Washington has been improving, it 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 still has been kind of yeah, but the whole time. Mm-hmm. But, but the fact that the Vegas odds makers made Washington a favorite in New York really yeah. sort of gave me a different perspective. Like, oh, okay, hold on. I know these things are not necessarily – lines are not always about who's the better team. But to say that the road team is a – you know, it's only a point and a half, but a point and a half favorite on the road against a team with essentially the same record says something about at least the perception of where these two teams um, – You're not kidding. Are and the, and the – um the fact that the line moved too after like I think it came out at least I saw on bet online it started with Washington as a one and a half point favorite I think and by yet by like midweek it was two and a half which you know as we know usually it's a three point home field advantage that that essentially means that the odds makers think Washington would be a five and a half point favorite on a neutral field which is insane um but I understand it based on how the Giants have played lately, especially on defense and the fact that Saquon Barkley, listen, he was one of the better skilled position players in football in the first half of the season. And recently he has been almost completely shut down outside of the Houston game in the last four. 
Um, you know, I was going to, I was actually going to say to you too, that like, you know, it's funny, you and I both almost seem like we each have this opinion of the teams we're covering that they're both a house of cards ready to, you know, tip yeah. over and, and collapse. The Giants possible positive in this game is that their offensive line is probably the best version of itself that it's been in a couple of months. It's, it's looking like it's going to be Andrew Thomas at left tackle, who is, who was sick when he played against the Cowboys last week. So he's healthy. Looks like Nick Gates is going to be at left guard after starting at center last game. John Feliciano should be back at center. Mark Lewinsky at right guard. And then the rookie Evan Neal, Brian Robinson's Alabama teammate is going to be back from that knee injury at right tackle. So from a Giants perspective, this game is going to be all about getting Barkley going again and also running Daniel Jones because we, we both know Jones, like, I mean, he plays way better against Washington and Del Rio's offense than he does against anyone else. He's thrown nine touchdown passes against them in his career. He has no more than five against anybody else. Um, and the last, the last time they played in Washington, he got going with his legs. That was actually the last time he played them. Um, and so – the, the Giants ground game has a chance to come alive. I'm not, you know, obviously Washington's done a very good job on defense, but it's going to be decided in the trenches this game. I mean, you know, Dexter Lawrence said to me, like, this is going to be a battle of the big boys. And, you know, I couldn't agree more, you know. Um, I would be curious what you think Washington's chances of stopping Barkley Jones are especially coming after facing a Falcons defense that was, you know, or, or offense that runs kind of like a similar scheme with a mobile quarterback. And then also if you think that the Robinson Washington running game is sustainable, like the way it was last week. Right. Well, that's what's so interesting is like, you know, Washington is not facing um, a, a, a ton of dynamic offenses over the last couple of weeks, but Three week, three opponents in a row, or, or you know, their strength is the run game. Now, Houston, they shut down pretty easily, but Houston's beyond one dimensional. They're not a very good team. Yeah. Then it comes Atlanta, and you're like, all right, well, you know, no Kyle Pitts. You know, other than Drake London, Atlanta doesn't really have any receivers you're worrying about too much. Mariota is not the Marcus Mariota isn't the most you know accurate of quarterbacks, and yet Atlanta has been incredibly run focused this year, and they came out and just ran all over Washington. Uh, they had three people get at least 49 yards on the ground, including Mariota. And it was the rare time that somebody has been running well against Washington this year. Even now, after giving up over 100, 160 yards on the ground in that game, they're still fourth in run DVOA on uh, football outsiders. Uh -huh. Obviously, John Allen and Daron Painter having huge years. But the combination of the run game and a mobile quarterback, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> wait a minute, here come the Giants. And I, and I hear what you're saying about Barkley not being what he was, but, you know, between his ability, between Daniel Jones, who, yeah, always looks like he's, you know, the, you know, Michael Vick out there when he's playing against Washington. And, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, the coaching staff that clearly is pretty good, it, it, it does make me wonder, you know, did, did Atlanta expose something in a way to how to beat Washington? It, it's not just enough that they have these, you know, really strong defensive linemen which they do, of course, but then, you know, what happens behind them? Uh, the Cole Holcomb, you know, he's been their best linebacker the last couple of years. He's out uh, for, for, you know, for a few more weeks. And, um, you know, I don't think that, I think in this Atlanta game, that did kind of hurt. So I do wonder, you know, if, if Dayball and them can see something from that Atlanta game, because, the, the, you know, the scenario is very similar in terms of the uh, the type of player 
um that 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 you guys have um when you mentioned barkley so what, what do you think has been going on i'll get to robinson in a second but with barkley like is he you know i know obviously he was coming off of injuries in previous years and this was a big comeback is he slowing down himself do you think physically or just the way teams are kind of saying eh, we're not too worried about the passing attack we're just going to load up on the box and deal with him to me it looks like both it looks like he had 35 carries in that houston game three games ago and i don't think there's any question that since that game he has looked a little bit more hesitant and a little different. He also hurt his right shoulder earlier in the season. It was like black and blue in the back of it. I, I don't know exactly what it is. My hunch is that it's, you know, you know, when guys have those injuries where they can play through it and, you know, shoot it up. But at the end of the year, they'll probably need to get something to go in there and fix, you know, some kind of surgery. Like that's what it looks like to me. Um, but I think the the primary reason too is like, Teams have been stacking the box. They've been using their edges to take away at various times Jones's, you know, runs and read option off of it and forcing the ball down into the middle. And the Giants injury at left injuries at left guard, like they started, I think, three different left guards in the past four weeks. That's why Gates being a left guard might end up being a big difference maker. But they've been limited, like they were starting a rookie there, Josh Azudu, who was doing certain things well and certain things not well so they were kind of shrinking the playbook a little bit to kind of accommodate their personnel with Evan Neal out at right tackle too and Tyree Phillips in so I think they were just cutting down their run plays and their and their their scheme and not able to generate enough explosives or fool the opposing defenses enough and frankly Ben I think I think early on a lot of the motion and taking defenses eyes one way and going the other way I think that was working it still works at times and still frees the Giants up for big plays. But I think by and large, like it's like anything else. It's been on tape more and, uh, you know, teams see it and they adjust. I Mike Kafka, the OC, did say that even though Washington had a good game plan against Atlanta, he did mention that they the Giants see some things in their in Washington's run defense plan that they think they can exploit. Um, but, you know, I'm glad you asked me this because – Frankly, like as much as all those other factors are factors, Barkley just, you know, he wants to be a star. He wants to be considered a star. He talks about his legacy and trying to build the kind of legacy. And he's mentioned all these great running backs like Jim Brown and Barry Sanders. Well, dude, like you got to do it. You got to do it right now. Like you have to be the best player on the field in a game that is basically a playoff game against Washington. And that's why, you know, as much as Odell Beckham visiting the Giants on his free agent tour is exciting, like this game against Washington and this stretch for the Giants is is way more about getting Barkley back to his early season self or else, you know, the Giants playoff spot, you know, will be in serious jeopardy. Yeah, yeah it's interesting hearing you talk about Barkley in that way because you asked about Robinson and is this sustainable? You know, R R Robinson was looking fantastic during the preseason and, and training camp before you know obviously the, uh, the the terrible situation um and you know you're like you know for you know, once you hear that he's gonna be okay recovering from the gunshot wounds you're like well how's he gonna play football wait he got shot through the knee like what's going on here you know and then he comes mm -hmm. back and you know he he he, he didn't miss you know he, he gets activated off ir and immediately plays that week unlike you know chase young that they, they you know at, started his 21 day clock and we're now like a month into it so he gets on immediately. 
And, you know, you could see there was a little bit of a, you know, slow, a slow uh, uh, return, which is, you know, obviously logical, especially A, he's a rookie and B, he's going through that. But what's been notable throughout has been he does not lose yards on carries. He mm. always finds ways to fall forward. And even if it's only gaining one or two yards, he's not putting Washington in, you know, second and 12 situations. He's keeping the offense on track. And that's been part of what's been so successful with, with, with these guys that even if they're not making huge plays, they're moving the chains. And he really is, is that guy. He is like, I don't want to go crazy with like, you know, John Riggins or Earl Campbell uh, type of comparisons, but he is that guy. You look at some of the highlights from last week, he's getting, you know, stuffed at various points and does not go down. He just keeps moving forward. And, you know, I think that's really given them some identity. And I think it is something that is sustainable. And then you combine it with um, Antonio Gibson, who gives you that flash on the outside. And then obviously with, you know, receiver, you know, Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel, they've got playmakers there. So it, I really do think it's it's the perfect running back to have, especially in this Taylor Heineke scenario where you just you don't want to put too much on the quarterback. So I really do think it is sustainable. That said, the offensive line is still a bit up and down, uh, to say the least. Uh, Trey Turner, the right guard, he didn't practice he, on a Wednesday. And they, had, they took Sam Cosme, who has been the right tackle, obviously, but he's been hurt. Uh, they've been working him back in the lineup. They've moved him to right guard in practice. And it looks like that's the way it would go, which I kind of like from a long-term perspective. But um, the, you know that could be a different wrinkle. It would be his first game, I believe, at right guard. So you know you never know how that how that goes immediately, even if from like a long term perspective, it's um mm. it's the way to go. But uh, but yeah, I think I think that could be uh, interesting. Um, l- l- let me ask you this: special teams, uh, obviously a, a topic we don't really nobody really talks about too too much. Um, but Washington though, th- this has been one of their strengths uh, last month. Tress Way was named the NFC Special Teams Player of the Month, the punter. Now, Joey Sly, the kicker, is named Special Teams Player of the Month for the, for uh, November, and their overall, like, coverage units have been really good this year. So, like, you know, we don't – again, when you talk about a team that doesn't have a lot of punch offensively, you know, how do you win? You got to have all the phases working, and they really are. Uh, right now, not much in the return game, but, like, that, that is all kind of working. W- what's going on with New York? Are they – is that phase of the game uh, a strength, an indifference, a weakness? How, how's that look? A weakness. And, Ben, you're asking me this as you're talking about this. I'm thinking to myself, I think that the the Vegas line on this game might have a lot to do with this. I think on a in a stadium that's going to be windy and on a day that's going to be very windy, you know, like 15 to 20 mile an hour winds with gusts up to 30 is what I saw in the forecast that the Giants had. Um you know, they are there. They have been the kind of special teams unit that has had like a breakdown somewhere every week. And it's often in a different place. So they had two fumbles in Seattle on punt return by Richie James. And that helped cost them the game. Then they put a Dory Jackson back there and that's how he got hurt. And that's why they're down their top corner. Their punter, Jamie Gillen has a leg. He can hit the ball to the moon. You know, his Scottish hammer nickname is well-earned, but <laughs> Until the Thanksgiving game in Dallas, he was really struggling putting the ball where he needed to put it. And so he was, you know, there was one game at home here at MetLife where he boomed one into the end zone that he was trying to down. 
And then the next one, he was trying to down it, ended up hitting it way short. The team gets the ball at the 30. Um, he was great in Dallas with a couple directional punts that landed, you know, for perfect downing inside the five. And their coverage units screwed it up and, you know, both times goes into the end zone. Could have easily downed them both. You know, very disappointing. Um, their kick return. Gary Brightwell is their backup running back, has been their kick returner, has not been explosive, has just held on to the ball and, you know, prevent, prevented them from losing possession. Um, nothing crazy that Washington would have to think about there. Brightwell is also sick. So, and with Richie James having a knee injury, they've been running some backup uh, guys in practice squatters like Khalil Pimpleton and Marcus Johnson at punt return. And then on the kicking game, Graham Gano is money. I mean, he's one of the best field goal kickers in the league. You always have to worry about him. Um, he did have two misses a couple games ago. One was blocked um, and one was missed. That was, uh, that was here at MetLife. So, you know, I think, I think in a game where both teams are going to run the ball a lot, and frankly, first of all, I think the Giants – if the Giants are able to have any kind of run success, keeping their defense off the field would be a good thing for them. But because, like you said, Robinson and Washington's run game have been effective, the Giants will not be able to cover Terry McLaurin without Adoree Jackson. And the Giants also allow 5.2 yards per carry on defense, which is tied for second worst in the league. That all those factors combined – I think the special teams that you're talking about now really could end up being the difference and is the reason why that spread is what it is. I mean, Thomas McGahey, the Giants special teams coach, he was, and he has done this before too, but he was raving about, you know, Tress's ability to do with the ball, whatever he wants. And he was praising Joey Sly for, you know, how powerful he is and, how much better he has gotten through the years from when the Giants kind of had him for a cup of coffee. And so that's, that's going to be an issue for the Giants, and that could be where Washington wins the game. I do have a question for you. Sure. Is Chase Young playing? Because that's, that's an asterisk for me for, the, you know, for this game. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. We may have more definition on that by the time I get this podcast up, but – I don't know. My, my take has been for the last couple of weeks that other than occasionally, you know, the head coach give, you know throws you off track by something he says in a positive way. Um, it, it, you know, he, they've continued Rivera and Del Rio have continually talked about how they need to see Chase Young go a little more full bore in practice with some of the things he'll have to do in the game that they need to see, you know, that he needs to have a bit more confidence in that in this knee uh, than he than he has. It's wild that it's been over a year now since he had the injury and had the surgery, which isn't to say that that's, you know, I don't know, people want to know if he's had a setback or who knows what, but um, you know, it obviously is a long, a long time. My my guess is he doesn't play in part because of the things I just mentioned. And then also um the turf at the stadium that you typically are at is notoriously not that great. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so which is funny because everybody jokes here like wait you're saying he wouldn't play on a, on a on a field that's not great what about washington i'm like well you know they did they did change the surface a couple years ago um <laughs> but uh yeah so i don't know i mean also like here's the, you know the reality is the defense has played really well i mean montez sweat on the on the one end has played he's playing lights out lately 
Um, the guys that have had filling in for for Chase Young, including James Smith Williams, have been pretty good, you know, solid enough. So it's not like they're missing him. He would be, you know, potentially an interesting uh, role uh, pass rusher, but like they got, you know, they've got bigger, they got bigger long term decisions, obviously, with him. We're not decisions, but, you know, factors with him. So I, if I had to guess, I'm going to guess he doesn't play. But, you know, like I said, we'll probably have a better feel by Friday. Um, you know, whether he's been able to practice, they were indoors on Wednesday, you know, on their sort of turf. And I think they probably would, you know, prefer again to get him out on the grass. So we'll see if that happens the rest of the, the rest of the week. Um, you know, speaking of that and moving off of the game for a quick sec before I, before I let you go, um, I wrote a story this week about Deron Payne. I've some, I, I, it's a, ta- a topic I've tackled a few times this year, specifically in terms of you know, Washington is in this very, unique circumstance where they drafted four defensive linemen in a row in the first round and you know from a purely asset allocation standpoint you can't really extend all of them especially if you're going to look to spend money at other spots quarterback in particular but and that's why Deron Payne is going into the he's playing on the last year of his rookie deal they didn't engage in a contract extension talk this offseason even though he's obviously a very good player but they've already signed John Allen but Deron Payne's having a tremendous year he and John Allen are putting up really impressive numbers for 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 tackles and doing it together. And we don't know about Chase Young's situation long term. He and Sweater each do extensions over the next couple of years. And so the the story is about the idea of you know um, the market what, what what they might do with Payne, but also that the defensive tackle market is looking like it could be the one that explodes this year. There's a ton of defensive tackles either entering free agency or going into the last year of their deal. Um, you have Dexter Lawrence, who is yeah. going to be going into the last year of his deal this year, but also Leonard Williams is on the roster who um, he's got a huge cap number for next year. He, he's, he is the second highest annual. Uh, he's the second highest paid defensive tackle from an annual salary basis at 21 million. What's what's been the view there in terms of keeping Lawrence and having potentially paying two defensive tackles a lot of money at least for a year? Is that does that sustainable? Because I know for some teams that's not something they're even going to consider. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lawrence has Lawrence has helped the conversation here by playing like they're one of their best players and their best pass rusher, and they've done it by essentially putting him over the center rather than rotating him all over, and he's essentially just been devastatingly dominant against opposing team centers. Um, They made the right decision by picking up his uh, fifth year option for next year, which is at around 12 million, Um, you know, doing that, you know, this past spring was a major, major deal because if they were walking into needing to pay him right now or having him in the franchise tag conversation along with Saquon and Daniel Jones, I would have really gummed things up. Um, you know, he's playing like a guy though, especially because he's still, you know, he's still younger, uh, a guy like who's going to be here for a long time and that they'll eventually decide to give a long-term deal and keep around Though They haven't talked to him about that yet. Leonard Williams is, he's a complicated situation. Um, his cap number for next year is scheduled to be $32 million. And I mean, (laughs) you know, the, the luxury the Giants have is with those two guys on the roster, 
it's not often that they both have a bad day in the, in the same day. So they're both good players. And then if one isn't his dominant self, the other one usually picks it up. Um, Williams has battled some injuries. I mean, he's a little, he's older. Um, he, I mean, he's still only 28 years old, I think, but um, you know, there's something to look at with Williams's contract because he has 20 next year. And then he has a void year in 2024. Um, so they're going to have some decisions to make there. I would think they really like him. Lawrence and he get along very, very well. Uh, the one, two punch is something that, you know, you talked about Washington, my initial reaction when you're telling me about all the money that's going to have to come due to all these defensive linemen, my initial reaction is the one I think that you're leading towards, which is like, well, sooner or later, one of these guys is going to have to be casualties and not going to be on this team because you can only commit so much to that position group. Um, but I think the Giants, from the Giants' end, they're just they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place under that Leonard Williams contract, um, you know, for for one more year uh, before they can move off that or change that. I mean, you could always do restructures, so they could technically like kick some of the twenty three money into twenty four, and then say, listen, like we're gonna ride it out through his thirty year old season. And we're going to commit to him for those two years. And then, you know, in 2024, we'll either trade him at the deadline or, you know, we'll ride it out and see if we can get a comp pick. So that's, that's probably the way I see it happening is them riding Williams out here, you know, for another year or two, paying Lawrence, and then Williams ends up leaving and Lawrence stays. All right. Well, that'll be interesting because, like I said, it's not paying, paying two defensive tackles simultaneously is not typically – what you want to do, uh, but at the same yeah. time, each circumstance is different, and you also don't want to mess with the strength. It certainly is for Washington, and it sounds like it generally is for the Giants as well. Um, all right, uh, let me let you go back to life at P Leonard NYDN on Twitter. Uh, the Talking Ball with Pat Leonard podcast as well. Read him in the New York Daily News sports section as well. Um, my guy, I greatly appreciate it. I will see you up there. Sunday. Uh, it sounds like neither one of us are really quite sure what to make of our team <laughs> when they get out there, but we'll uh, we'll see what happens. No, looking forward to it. Thanks, Ben. And yeah, I mean, if I know Taylor Heineke and these games, I'm fully expecting this game to end with like Heineke throwing a pass that hits off someone's helmet, bounces into the air. Heineke catches it, laterals it to McLaurin, who runs into the end zone, and you know Washington wins. Like that's how these games always end. I think I saw them practice that in practice the other day. So, yeah, <laughs> anything's possible. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you.